good evening and welcome to a Nile Boylan podcast this week and with us today with over 25 years experience the specialist security sector will get us has consulted clients across the world on a wide diversity and range of risk and threat related matters personally operating and working with developed emerging and hostile countries across the world and not only that he's appeared on television quite a lot as well will good afternoon to you and a very good afternoon to you, Niall. Thank you very much. I'm very honoured to be invited on your show today. Thank well, look, well, we've spoke a few times before, and more recently we spoke about Ireland here, the big threat we had recently, the cyber attack on the HSE. Yeah. It's all quietened down again. They still haven't got all their systems back up and running again. And the big threat now, of course, is they didn't pay, it seems, or so we're being told. So all this information is going to be leaked onto the, the, the dark web. They've already released um, some information to prove that they can do it. Um, and some of that information has already gone out. We've heard stories of people being contacted by medical centres around the world who now have their information. Um, there's a threat that more of that information could be leaked onto the dark web. What can people do about it? Or can they do anything? Well, to a certain extent, there's, uh, there's not a great deal you can do. If someone wants to release that information, you kind of have to be a little bit retrospective. I mean, of course, HSE holds uh, a great deal of concern in terms of the measures and the security that they applied to obviously protect that data in the first place. Um, I'm sure the information commissioner is going to levy probably some significant fine. Um, my big question would be, hopefully this will have been their wake up call to getting their security sorted out in the future. But, you know, that's later down the line for people right now. The concern is obviously in the same way as if, for example, you lost your bag or your wallet or you uh, had your house burgled and that information is potentially taken. So, you know, there are a couple of things you can do with some of the credit agencies like Experian, for example, when it's financial data that has gone that you can actually register and subscribe for alerts uh, should that happen which magazine obviously is quite good in these sort of areas as well but when it comes to medical data it's a question of what they can do with it how can they exploit that data and that's, that's generally what we would do we'd, we'd look at it from a security perspective and say if they have this kind of information what can they fundamentally do with it and more than anything else i would say with medical data it's going to be more about identity theft and potentially utilizing your identity for someone else to use the health service. Is there possibly a suggestion, and some people have suggested already, blackmail, uh, i.e. you might have medical information, let's say, worst case scenario, about somebody having an STD or a pregnancy or something like that, and that particular person happens to be in the public eye. I mean, these are all possibilities, I suppose. They are, but then there would be the, the siphoning through and filtering through all of that data. And we, we've got to presume that they've got a considerable amount of data. And do they really have the time and the energies and the wherewithal to, to, to filter and search through that data to find specific people who could be a namesake of someone famous? It doesn't necessarily mean that that person is famous. So really what I would want the HSC to be doing would be to release a statement stating very clearly what information has been compromised. And I think that's the least that they should do. In other words, name, address, medical records, possibly bank details if people have paid bills exactly. in hospitals, et cetera, et cetera. You got it, Niall. So, so, you know, the thing is, is that until people know what information has been compromised, they don't know which corners they need to protect. And there's a lot of good advice online that people can follow if they find it's one piece of data that is being compromised. And a very quick search of Google will come up with some options and some solutions. Other than that, once we know more about this, maybe you and I can do something further in the future and I can incrementally look at each of those bits of information, break it down and advise what people I think should be doing. But 
HSC's got a responsibility to say, this data has been compromised. These are the steps we recommend you should take. And they should be talking to someone who knows what they're talking about. I mean, in previous cyber attacks, and I was only looking at the other night, for example, LinkedIn and many other companies, Facebook have had cyber attacks. And there is a website, a kind of pond website, as they call them online, where you can put yeah. in your own email address and see yeah. if you've been part of a cyber attack. Do you imagine that these, uh, you know, the spiders from Russia or whoever they happen to be, these individuals will then be part of that, that we will be able to check and see if our information has been leaked? Yeah, now the, the website you're referring to is Have I Been Pawned? And that is spelt P-W-N-E-D. And you can find it online very easily. It's a really good website run by some very smart people who are aggregating data all the time whenever they hear of compromises taking place. And many of those compromises could be of big companies that won't necessarily make the news because their good corporate communications departments or PRs are making sure they stay out of the news for obvious reasons. However, Have I Been Pawned is really good at being able to find and release information if your website or, sorry, your, your email address has been and it's And it's well worth doing on a regular occasion, just checking on that. Now, if the date is preceding a time where you've changed your password, then I wouldn't worry too much about it. If it's subsequent to you changing the password, and we should all change our passwords as regularly as we possibly can, not recycle either, not use the same password that we've used. We all past. tend to do that, by the way, <laughs> because yeah, we do. Every time, every time I go to Facebook, I go to Twitter, and obviously I'm automatically logged in on my phone or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. But if I happen to go to a different device and it's asking me for the password, I can never remember the password that I've changed it to previously. Okay. And the reason I changed it previously was because I couldn't remember then either. So, I mean, uh, is there a handy tip for doing that? Somebody yeah, yeah, gave yeah. me a great idea once, and I don't know if it'll work but they said take the first letter of the first line of your favorite song and put that in as your password and i thought okay but maybe somebody will guess that one it's not bad it's not a bad idea to put a to put a line of a, a song or poetry or a line from a movie it's probably not a bad idea but just make sure that if you do do that change any uh, uh letters for numerals so any i's you replace with a one any s's you change with a five you know don't just put a star at the end of it that's what everybody does um, but even or an exclamation mark, as I might do. Every <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, 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 the one thing I would suggest is there are really good authentication apps out there. So if you're on Google Android, get the Google Authenticator. You can download it very easily. Um, also, you could get Authy, which is spelled A-U-T-H-Y, which is an authentication app. And the reason why you want to have that is because any account that you have, you want to set up two-factor authentication, which very, very simply means that if you log into your account, let's say you know your, your username, you know your password, but you log in on a brand new phone that you purchased or a new laptop, it will require a code, a number being SMS or emailed to you to basically confirm uh, that it is you and mm -hmm. that someone doesn't have your password and your username credentials. Now, an authenticator app is even better because if you set it up with an authenticator and you can do it with Gmail, you can do it with most uh, online sites these days, it will generate a code randomly, a bit like online banking, that you just put in at the time, and there you are, you're safe. And it's one of the two-factor authentication, probably one of the best ways to prevent a hacker getting into any of your materials. Or okay, your we, we've seen, obviously, the HSC. We've seen the cyber attack, for example, um, in America on the gas pipeline or the gasoline pipeline. We've also seen numerous other cyber attacks, by the way, that you might have not have spotted here in Ireland over the last two weeks. We had a phone company as well that were a cyber attack yeah. at my own website, actually, where I do my podcast. The host of that, which is one of the biggest hosts in the country, they've had two what they call, uh, I think it's called DDoS attacks. Um, yeah, and, distributed denial 
dollar service. Yeah. yeah. So so they've had those attacks on two different occasions. Their sites were down. This has become an extremely common, certainly over the last year or so. We're seeing an awful lot more of it. Is this the new war of the future whereby, you know, companies and countries can be literally taken down by hackers in exchange for not only money, uh, but exchange for political views or political wills or, or political decisions? It already is, Niall. Yeah. <laughs> it already is. I mean, it's 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 the warfare of the future. It's the warfare of the present. Um, you know, when you when we look at the number of things that we have which are online, and you know, you can refer to the Internet of Things. So whether that be your Alexa speaker at home, whether it be your your uh, robot lawnmower, or whether it be your your new cooker, or your heating in your home, or your lighting, or anything like that. When it's all interconnected and everything's online and it's it's all powered by an app, it's all potentially vulnerable. You know, it's one of the sub I actually covered as a specific chapter in my book I brought out a couple of years ago. Um, that Internet of Things is one of those things that for me personally, do I have an Alexa in my home or an Echo or one of these virtual assistants? No, I you don't. don't. I don't. No. And the, and the simple reason being is if it is actually engineered to listen to you, the question is, you're trusting, albeit a very big company, to ensure that it's not listening to you all the time and what else it's listening to and that it doesn't just wake But do you think it does? I, I always thought this was a conspiracy theory. And I mean, I do have an Alexa and, yeah. and it does control lighting and all sorts of different things. And <laughs> Alexa, lights off. It's, it's just handy. But do you think what I haven't given at the prompt word of Alexa, do you think it's listening in the background? It's got that capability, absolutely. But is it? I, I know it's got the capability, and they're telling you it's not, and there's yeah. a privacy policy there, and you're signing up to that privacy policy. I don't know all the small bit because nobody ever nobody reads. reads no, yeah, nobody ever reads it. You just click agree. So, yeah. but do you genuinely believe that, or is that kind of? Are we heading down the conspiracy world to think that somebody in there is using that information? I'm not saying it may be using it for the wrong purposes, but using it to sell you stuff or using it to, to push something on you. I think the problem is until I can prove otherwise, my suspicions will always be there. But I, you know, I am a security guy, and I'm always going to be looking at potential exploits or weaknesses or vulnerabilities that we're exposed to. And unless someone can give me a definitive, it's a bit like, you know, when we look at tradecraft in terms of traditional tradecraft of ex of exchanging information or having a, a, a confidential meeting, you know. I still have clients that will fly me first class to another country to sit down for an hour's meeting. Uh, I've had flights to New York literally for one hour's meeting. I've had them to the Middle East. I've had them to various places because we can't necessarily just relax and be complacent that technology isn't. If it's not ex being exploitative of by the company that actually produces it, as you said, You've got your own website on a very, very good server with a very good web host, yet they were still not impervious to a DDoS attack. And a DDoS attack is something where a hacker will basically overload that website, overload that URL. So it, so the server basically crashes and nobody can get on it. And I've seen this with, you know, I worked in the entertainment industry and particularly sort of like uh, music entertainment groups that have a very young demographic. And the young demographic, you know, you've got the 14-year-old or the 12-year-old in their back bedroom. They have all the time in the world to hack, to cause disruption, to do whatever they want. So, you know, I've had fan sites, you know, legitimate official websites for particular bands crash because a DDoS was launched against it. Um, but good, you know, web servers, good, you know, uh, website hosts should have DDoS resilience. So if yours doesn't, 
maybe you need to do a bit of a shop around that. Uh, okay. In relation to when these companies get attacked, be it the HSE, be it a telephone company, or indeed a web host or whatever it is, or whoever's supplying a service, I mean, what's your advice to them after you've fixed the problem? Right, we've sorted out the problem, they're gone, you've given them the money or whatever it is, or you've sorted out the problem. I mean, because realistically, if they have a backup, which is the most important word in the world, yeah. I mean, they can attack the backup as well, because obviously the backup has to be connected to the main computer to take the backup in the first place. So is that an endless sort of domino effect? Well, the backup doesn't have to be connected. You can you can open up the ports temporarily so that the backup is siloed and it's protected in its own safe, if you like. Uh, it's not continually. And I would recommend against actually having something which is just permanently open because, you know, one of the things that any good large organization like the HSC should be doing is periodic penetration testing. And that penetration testing is mimicking the hackers. And the, these are really capable people. Quite often, they've come from the dark side. It's the poacher term. Well, they're, the, they're the ethical hackers, really, aren't they? Well, you know, you can call it ethical. I mean, I've met a few evil ethical hackers. <laughs> and we can come on to that. And they, they use those exploits to, to, to blackmail people and extort. Um, but no, these are, these are very capable uh, hackers who will try and hack the client's website they get a, an entirely impartial view i mean we have there are three grades of hackers or, or pen testers there's what we call the black the gray and the white box the black are they literally have the website address that's it they don't have anything more than that the gray will be someone that has a little bit of information it could be someone who potentially used to work for that organization understands a little bit of the architecture of the network and then you've also got the white, which is the person that is the inside threat. Now, no company should discount the inside threat. That could be the aggrieved, disgruntled, upset employee who decides to pull the pin on the grenade before they leave the organization. And he sticks any desk on in the background on the computer where nobody even knows it's there and he's, and he's doing it from his own house. You got it. You got it. So, so again, this was one of the biggest risks for many companies during uh, the lockdowns last year where you know, a lot of people were getting remote access into their network um, and they needed to verify and whitelist, obviously, who it was that was coming in. So the IP numbers were traced. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways that potentially a threat can come in and pull the system down or steal information. And as a white box threat, one of the things would be if you're working for a big company, you might choose, and I've dealt with a few of these cases, where you decide, I'm going to download the entire client list. I'm going to download all the customer data and, and maybe sell it to the competition. Sell it, <laughs> sell, it to the, sell it to the competition. Well, exactly. Yeah, they may potentially try and sell it to the competition. Obviously, if the competition get caught buying that kind of material and knowing that it's been stolen, they're going to get into big trouble. But that's not to say you couldn't sell it in a foreign market. Uh, in relation to, to personal protection, I mean, everybody's carrying around the most unbelievable devices that are, I mean, if we go back to 1969, the technology wouldn't have, would have got men to the moon, but we've got this in our pocket now. We've got it on our wrist with our Apple watches and Android watches and all sorts of things and Samsung galaxies. I mean, are we at huge risk by having even these devices? I mean, should we not just all go back to the Nokia 5210? Life was just so much easier. I mean, are we at huge risk? Because people talk all the time when they say to me, I, I, my phone was on the desk. I happened to mention I needed a new pair of Reebok trainers. The first thing that happened when I went on Facebook was an ad for Reebok trainers. Come on. I mean, is that really happening? Well, you know what? I get asked this question an awful lot, Niall, and it's, and it's a good question. And I would say, would I do have a definitive answer on it and say your devices aren't listening to you? Well, going back to the point we made earlier, I couldn't, say, I couldn't say 100%. But 
one of the things that we mustn't discount, which is why social media platforms have a great deal more accountability or should have a great deal more accountability than they do, is that the sophistication of algorithms these days are that good that they can fill in the blank. And the best way I explain it to people is imagine that you are a jigsaw puzzle and you're made up of lots and lots of tiny little pieces. And what your visits on websites, on social media sites, on online shopping, when you're going on there, you, you are agreeing more often than not to cookies. Mm -hmm. Because obviously it helps that if you filled up your basket and you leave that site and you come back, it will remember what you've got in there. It'll make your shopping experience. So people shouldn't see cookies necessarily as something in, in, you know, nefarious. However, you leaving those little breadcrumb trails are giving little pieces of the jigsaw puzzle of who you are. And the algorithms are smart enough to be able to put those pieces together. And in the same way as if you're doing a conventional old school jigsaw puzzle and you've got it all laid out on the kitchen table, you put enough pieces down, you don't have to complete the puzzle necessarily to be able to guess what the picture is okay. and what the final picture is going to look like. So this can happen where it could be purely coincidental that you've been looking for particular holidays. You've always looked at things in Spain. You step away from it. You go off and do something else. You go to work. And then some advert pops up somewhere down the line. And this is where Google is in a potential big area of problems where they found a workaround or they put a particular workaround code allegedly behind the Safari browser on iOS, on Apple devices, which then sold that data to various um, premium sort of customers that were selling products. So it is joining those jigsaw pieces together. Could I say that it is in your devices listening to you? I couldn't say with any certainty that they're not. When I go to my iPhone in about five minutes, Will Geddes' website's going to pop up in a second because it knows I've been talking to you. In <laughs> yeah, that's the stuff at night, man. In relation to conspiracy theories, there's been a wide range of misinformation and conspiracy theories yeah. around COVID-19. Do you think that technology, the s social media, um, and the way social media has been used during COVID-19 has it played a massive role in the way we've reacted around the world. Some would say an overreaction in the way we've reacted to COVID-19 in the UK. Of course, you've had your lockdowns. Ireland has had the longest lockdown in the world next to Eritrea. And you could argue yeah. that Eritrea has been in lockdown yeah. since the 1970s. So, I mean, do you believe that social media and technology has played a huge role in promoting public policy from governments around the world? Um, that's a very, very good question. Uh, has it played? I mean, like, let, let me put it another way. In how? Let me put it another no, way. No, no, no. I know. If, I, if I, this I was back in two thousand and nine, before social media became as popular as it is yeah. now, would we be having lockdowns? Would we be? Would it be dictating public policy the way it is? Because I give you an example. Will here in Ireland last March or so or May, when all this happened first, of course everybody was scared. Nobody knew what was going on, and there was hashtags going up on Twitter. Um, there was a group of people videoed dancing in the middle of Temple Bar, which is a busy area like Leicester Square in Dublin. And all of a sudden, yeah. hashtag close the pubs, hashtag close the pubs. These people are spreading the virus. Then it was hashtag close the schools. The government reacted to these small group of people, you know, who would never have been noticed before yeah. social media came along and closed the pubs. The government reacted and closed the schools yeah. because some people said it. Now, Again, it's yeah. hashtag open the pubs, hashtag open the restaurants now, and now we're seeing public policy being reacting to that. So do you think social media and technology yeah. has played a role in dictating the world around us, essentially? Uh, not being involved in uh, governmental policy, I couldn't say certainty uh, with any certainty, but I would say 
most uh, one could easily speculate that the government does take the barometer of the general public sentiment and you know, if they are feeling and there is a majority that is feeling a particular action needs to be taken and it hasn't been taken by the government then inevitably it's going to be an easier sell if there's a vast majority of people coming back and saying you should close the pubs um but equally and conversely if they say you should open the pubs whether that is a calculated decision based on medical evidence and intelligence to say yes that's a smart move and it's not just social pressure pubs open yeah so let's open them um you know, but I think it is definitely aggregating that data uh, and and looking at that. You know, it's a general consensus rule. It's a it's a question of what are people generally feeling. I mean, I did a, a piece uh, for a security industry publication. I, I write the you know article here and there, and one of the things that I talked about was uh, the fact that these lockdowns were never going to last for the simple reason that people were going to um, start protesting. People were going to start breaking COVID. You know, we're not, as human beings, built to be imprisoned or housed and, and made immobile. You know, we will get stir crazy. We will get cabin fever. So I think, you know, the governments were always on borrowed time as to how long they could sustain it before we just went, nah, we're out. And sticking with COVID, of course, COVID has increased the risk and obviously increased uh, the work for people like you, because as you rightly pointed out, particularly state departments, be it the revenue commissioners or the inland revenue, as you call it over there, are all working from home. So you've got this valuable information, tax information, medical information, uh, welfare information, all traveling basically through cyberspace constantly every single day and people using their home computers in some cases. I know I know, probably in relation to Inland Revenue, they probably give out their own systems to people to use at home, but still using their own systems to connect back and forward. I mean, uh, using VPNs. So that must be a huge risk as well. That, I mean, that must have been a risk they had to decide at the start. We, we need to take this risk or we're going to have no staff. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's one client of mine who's a, a very, very large household name, um, retail bank. Uh, I won't say who. And they said that they spent within three months the equivalent of three years worth of IT budget to be able to facilitate, obviously, a lot of their staff working from home. And their security is absolutely brilliant. I mean, their cybersecurity is off the charts in terms of its capability. Is it 100% resilient? No, nobody can say with any certainty anything's 100%. Um, where we've been dealing an awful lot more with is the criminals that have been exploiting the paranoia of COVID um, mm-hmm. have been exploiting things like, for example, the inland revenue. I had a client that I only ha- uh, got notified of today that I had a phone call from someone claiming to be from the inland revenue and stating that they were going to be fined. Um, so quite often my team will get calls from people saying, we've had this strange email, or we've had this strange phone call uh, that has come through. Is this legit or is it not? Um, and I would generally say to people before it can be qualified, and, and most often, you know, one of the benefits of technology these days is people will post online very quickly if a scam's doing the rounds. Um, so it's definitely worth checking on there. And secondly, very importantly, which is a, a, a byword for all of us in the security industry, which is trust your gut, trust your instinct. If it feels wrong, you know, there's a very good reason that it probably is telling you it's wrong because I mean, it probably is wrong. <laughs> we, we are going to get to a point where companies just will not be able to use text messages for people to send links because the advice from everybody now is if you get a text message with a link, you just never click it. And that's just the end of it. And I think we're going to have to bring in some sort of policy where companies just don't send links anymore because there's just so much hacking going on and so much or so many viruses out there or ransomware or whatever it happens to be. Are we yeah. going to get to that point where it's going to make it difficult for companies to genuinely send out information to people via email? 
email or via text for them to respond to. Like recently, uh, my credit card or my debit card, should I say, had an unusual or suspect uh, payment. Now, it was me, thankfully, uh, but they sent me a text message saying, you know, just send back a yes or a no if this was you. I mean, but it will get to the point where they won't even be able to do that because people just are starting now not to trust texts anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's a very good point. I think, again, we've got to, to a certain degree, qualify when the text comes through. How much information is it asking for us? What is it asking us to do? Is it asking us to call a number? Is it to click on a link? And the golden rule generally is if it's not HTTPS, and that S is the really important part, if it doesn't have the S at the end of the HTTPS, um, colon, forward slash, forward slash, whatever website it might be, uh, then do not trust it. Uh, if in doubt, call up your bank, call up the HMRC or the, the, the relevant revenue uh, to find out whether there is an issue. If that's, you know, one thing you have to remember with most of these scams is they will target you either first thing in the morning when you're still waking up and you're not quite firing on all capacities or last thing in the day when you're already disengaging from work and you're already beginning to sort of down, you know, um, you know, kick down from the busy day that you've had. So they will try and target you when you're at your most vulnerable. The second thing is remember anything you click on potentially also inserts a potential malicious malware into your system. You know, this is the traditional phishing, PH phishing um, approach. And if you click on it, but you know, most mobile phones are generally okay. Um, but if you do it on your laptop, be very, very cautious because you click on that, you could be downloading. So always have a very, very good antivirus, anti-malware software and run it regularly. That's the thing that drives me mad. It's when clients go, got it. And I go, well, when was the last time you use it? And they go, oh, about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, every morning when you get up, do you always have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee? And they go, yeah. Well, then you should start making a routine include the moment you open your laptop or turn on your computer, run your antivirus right from the get-go. And the other thing as well is, you know, this is becoming more commonplace. Many, many years ago, of course, the only risk we ever had was the odd email from a prince somewhere in the middle of South Africa who was offering you 30 million if you kindly gave him your bank account details and met him in Sweden yeah. with a briefcase. But that's all changed now. I mean, they still exist, I assume, those kind of chancers mm-hmm. yeah. on, on email. And I'm sure people still fall for it, by the way, too. They do. Yeah. yeah which is bizarre that people would fall for the, the, the prince story. That You'd be amazed. Would. There are barristers, doctors, lawyers, all sorts of very professional while one presume intelligent people who fall for them all the time. And you would think when you would look at that, you know, okay, somebody's going to give me 30 grand for nothing. Hmm. But I suppose there's always, the, you're thinking to yourself, maybe it could be real. Lately in my spam, for example, I just happened to look at it the other night. I'm constantly getting these ones. This is your final opportunity to cash in your Bitcoins. I don't have any Bitcoins. So <laughs> so the Bitcoin seems to be the big one at the moment. This uh, The cryptocurrency and oh, basically yeah. telling people they have cryptocurrency. Why has that suddenly become a big one? Well, it's been around for a while now, and uh, there are so many different cryptocurrencies out there. And do I know much about it? No, I don't. It's not something that really tickles me, to be absolutely honest, Niall. Um, But I would say caveat emptor with any kind of uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Bitcoin purchase. Um, Cryptocurrencies are complex. Uh, I, I, you know what, I, I, I believe they're a little bit emperor's new clothes. And until such time as MasterCard and Visa accept them as a recognized currency, 
you know, guys who say to me, and I've got, I've got dear friends who say to me, well, I've made 20 million this week. And I go, you know what? You've made 20 million of nothing until you can cash it, mate. Yeah. Well, obviously you can see the physical money. <laughs> I, and I'm the same as you. I kind of don't trust anything until everybody else has done it first and made a mistake. And I think that's probably the yeah. best way to do it. In relation to security, by the way, you not yeah. only do secure, uh, cyber security, you will look at the general security. I, I'm assuming uh, of businesses in general. That security, does that include protecting themselves against litiga litigation, protecting themselves physically, I suppose, against break-ins? I mean, yeah. have we seen an increase or a decrease during COVID-19 of break-ins? Because of the two trains of thought in this, that the burglars are also locked down as well, that they can't go very far during the lockdowns, of course. Uh, the other uh, thing is people are at home more now, so there's less yeah. of a chance. But businesses are a little bit emptier, so it's more of a chance. So how is that working out? Uh, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, your, your, your presumption on the fact that home invasions and home robberies and burglaries are, are greatly sort of reduced or have been certainly during lockdown. Absolutely right. I mean, it's rare that you'll have a criminal that is brave enough to want to break into a home when it's quite evident that obviously the occupants are going to be in. Um, <clears throat> businesses, totally different story. You're absolutely right. Again, those businesses left unattended, computers, work equipment, tools, all that sort of good stuff, again, potentially vulnerable. Um, I think as the lockdowns are now lifting everywhere, we're going to see things revert back to normal, you know, certainly as people are getting out. Um, but yeah, from, from our perspective, we tend to handle more the specialist end. So mm -hmm. a lot of our clients will have what we call residential security teams. A lot of these guys are ex-military or ex-police, uh, and they will be there 24 hours keeping watch. And uh, God help any burglar who does, decides to break into one of my teams. And just finally, in relation to yourself, Will, how did you get into the business? Because now you appear on television quite a lot. You're on radio nearly every possible day of the week at this stage. So oh, obviously, thanks uh, to you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you've been on Irish national radio on many, many occasions with me as well. I mean, how did you get into that business? Have you always had an interest in security? I mean, I, I understand the image as well. I mean, you're obviously a Bond, a Bond fan as well. I may not, be in the no, background. Not no. <laughs> I, mean, it's an, I mean, it's a very interesting business to be in. I'm sure like every other job, it can be boring too by times. But I mean, what, what book kind of brought you into that business? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a very long and boring story now, which I, I won't, uh, I won't uh, bore you with. Um, but fundamentally, I came into it and, uh, and I hold the sort of the standard and the flag for, uh, for other civilians that are in this industry. As you can imagine, a vast majority of the guys in the game are ex-military or ex-police or ex-security services and will come from those sort of traditional backgrounds. Um, there is a, a large and increasing number of people like myself who don't come from one of those formal backgrounds. That's not to say that I haven't had parallels in terms of training. You know, I spent mm. time in Iraq. I spent time in Afghanistan and a lot of hostile environments around the world. Um, reasonably firearms and was certainly the associated tactics that you would employ in these things. But I came from more combative backgrounds. So, you know, I started like many young guys um, with judo at the age of seven, um, took a liking to the martial arts. Um, <clears throat> and then during my, my journey, met with a fascinating guy who was a uh, former British Special Forces, uh, who was one of the great and the good, a bit of a legend, uh, who took me in uh, as, uh, and he became my mentor. Taught me an awful lot about the industry. Uh, and back almost 30 years as of next year, I'll have been in the industry, uh, brought in a lot of his colleagues. Uh, I built quite a roster, quite a stable of uh, former Special Forces and other specialist elite military personnel. Uh, and the business sort of 
grew from there. You know, I was involved initially in providing personal protection training for a lot of executives when they were traveling to parts of the world. Does that get you in a, a few tricky, dangerous situations? Have you been in a, a few slippery situations in your day? I'm sure you have. Yeah, plenty. Certainly plenty. Yeah, you know, I, I, like I said, I spent, you know, on and off uh, about three years in Iraq, uh, on and off. Takes a special person to do that, Will, really. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to ever put myself in a situation. Mind you, as a talk show host, and, and many years ago, I had a, probably more of a reputation for being very controversial. I did get the odd death threat. But I do yeah. remember a security specialist at the time saying to me, uh, he was a local detective within the police, and he turned around and he said to me, well, Niall, he said, if they're telling you they're going to kill you, they're probably not going to do it. He <laughs> yeah. said it's the ones that don't tell you are the ones you need yeah. to worry about. I no, mean, you're absolutely right. Although although I can share with you, I've had my fair share of uh, death threats as well. And I've had death threats from some very, very, very serious people, which uh, I took very seriously as well. Um, yeah, but you're absolutely right. If they're going to fanfare that they're on their way, then uh, they're probably usually not. not <laughs> worries. The ones, you, the ones you don't, you're not prepared for. So... Yeah, I mean, in terms of the industry, yeah, I mean, I've put myself in a few precarious positions, but one of the things that I've had at my advantage um, has been really good guys around me, a very good team. We cover each other, we look after each other, and, uh, and most importantly, we look after our clients and make sure they're safe. Well, listen, i got to thank you very much indeed, Will, for joining me this evening, and I appreciate you coming to talk to me on the podcast tonight. Thank you very much indeed. It's been my absolute pleasure, Noel. Thank you. I'm very honoured again to, to have been invited. Thank you. Oh,